looking once again at Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Luke 8, 1 through 3. God's word says, Soon afterward he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. This is God's word, and we rejoice in it today. This passage almost seems like a text that seems mundane, almost uh, just a, a filler in between uh, the, the wonderful account of the woman who washed Jesus' feet with her hair and, and anointed him and showed her gratitude for the forgiveness that she had received from Jesus, that wonderful account there at the house of the Pharisee, and, and then the, the parables that we're about to get into, uh, verse 4 and following, the beginning with the parable of the sower, this seems like just a, a transition verse between those two things, but this particular verse, of course, it's, I've spent two, uh, these three verses, I've spent two weeks on it, so you obviously know that I think it's important. Uh, but one other thing about this that just kind of a side comment today, this, this passage that we're looking at today bolsters our trust in and appreciation for God's word, or it should. Luke tells us in chapter 1 that he has compiled his narrative of the things that Jesus has done in the world. Uh, he's gone to eyewitnesses and other people who have preached to them. And so he's done this investigation, and he wanted to compile an orderly account for a fellow named Theophilus so that he might have certainty concerning the things that he had been taught. He went and did the investigation, and that's going to bolster Theophilus, bolster his faith in, in, and his trust in the truth. Luke has carefully gone to the sources, including the eyewitnesses, including earlier written records of the life of Jesus in, in order to confirm it for us as well as Theophilus. And Luke 8, 1 through 3 is unique to Luke's gospel. No, no, none of the other gospels have uh, this little snippet of information. None of the other gospels mention how Jesus and the twelve were supported during their ministry once they moved from living in Capernaum uh, and to a strictly itinerant ministry. Uh, this information that Luke discovered in his careful research. It's a small detail that Luke includes about how Jesus and the twelve had provisions in their ministry, but it shows the truthfulness of the account because it is a small but perfectly natural detail about their everyday lives. If you were writing to create a legend or a myth about Jesus, this is not how you would write it. You wouldn't put these mundane details in there. Who would, who would make up a simple detail like this and think it was important to mention? And also, by mentioning the women's names there, Mary Magdalene and uh, Joanna and Susanna, perhaps he's challenging others to go and check the sources. Perhaps these women were still alive at the time Luke did his research and writing, and, and just as he interviewed them, 
Others could interview them as well. And at least there were people still alive who would have known these women personally who could confirm the facts that uh, Luke has recorded for us. So don't believe it when people tell you that the Bible is mythology and is untrustworthy. These biblical accounts are not written like mythology or other legends. Well, last week we focused in on the first sentence of, uh, of, the verse, uh, of these three verses uh, where Jesus went about proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God into a world cursed by sin, under bondage to decay, under the sway of the devil. Jesus brings in a new regime, the kingdom of God. He brings life. He brings light into a world of death and darkness. He comes to free sinners from the guilt and penalty of sin and from the bondage to sin. He comes destroying the works of the devil. Indeed, this is good news. You haven't been left trapped in your own bondage to sin and the subsequent brokenness that comes into your life as a result of sin. Jesus has come. He is that Savior. He is the one. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's announcing his presence with authority. And he's coming in to earth to reverse all the, the misery that's caused by sin entering the world, even death itself. Well, he is announcing that the kingdom of God has come, and he's teaching about the nature of God's kingdom. That's what we'll see in the, in the parables that follow uh, in uh, subsequent weeks. And as well, what we've already seen, he is demonstrating his power and his authority to bring in the kingdom by his power over nature, his power over disease and disability and over demon possession. He's reversing the curse of sin and freeing those who are captive to sin. This is his mission. And there are three points about this mission I want to make today. The mission of proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God is imperative, inclusive, and instinctive. And I'll need to explain those three things. First of all, the mission of proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God is imperative. It is imperative to Jesus to carry out his mission of salvation. And his great love for the lost shines through here. Soon afterward, in verse 1, that phrase, soon afterward there, indicates a change in Jesus' ministry. He had been centered in Capernaum, as we mentioned before, but now he is methodically going throughout cities and villages from place to place. He's actually become homeless you know, he makes the famous statement, you know, foxes have holes. Like the fo there's a foxhole outside the window out here, uh, underneath the church. That fox has a home. Jesus didn't have a home. Uh, Jesus was on the road, going from town to town, village to village, city to city, in order to give himself to fulfilling his mission. The verb here denotes a slow and continuous mode of travel. The preposition through or throughout the cities and towns or the, throughout the cities and villages expresses the particular care which he bestowed on every place he went. 
whether it was a large place, a city, or a small village. Everywhere he gave himself time to stay, but not too long, because he, was he, he wanted to spread the word far and wide. Back in chapter 4, some people who had been touched by Jesus and his teaching, uh, he went off into a wilderness place to, to pray, and they went looking for him, and they wanted him to stay with them because they had been so blessed by Jesus and loved Jesus. And he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. You see, he was single-minded about it. When the disciples are concerned that Jesus hasn't eaten in John chapter 4, Jesus says to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I mean, Jesus was more concerned about the mission than he was feeding himself. I can't say the same myself often. I love to eat. But Jesus said his meat, his drink, was to do the Father's will and to accomplish his work. And what was his work? He says in John 6, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is determined to take this life-giving message to all the cities and villages. And it just shows how much he loves sinners. Hebrews 12 tells us that it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, despising the shame. That was the ultimate, kind of the climax of his mission, to go to the cross, to pay for sin, for people who were lost and in bondage to sin. And he is determined to do that. And it was the joy of rescuing people from sin and Satan, whatever the cost to himself personally. Though he was in the form of God, Paul says in Philippians, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This was his mission, and he was determined to do it, and nothing else would get in that way because he loves sinners like you and me so much. And chapter 8 is just the beginning of him accomplishing his mission. As he travels, he will at some point turn his face towards Jerusalem because he knows that's where he is going to lay down his life to pay the penalty for our sins on the cross. And he has a singular focus of spreading this message of the kingdom of God and accomplishing all the purpose uh, of, of saving lost sinners like we are. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. The mission of Jesus is imperative to him. It's his heart, and it should be to you as well, because your eternal life, your eternal destiny, rests on Jesus accomplishing that mission. You need to be rescued. You need a Savior. 
So this mission of Jesus was imperative to Jesus because he cares for you and it should be imperative for you as well. It should be a priority in your life to hear this good news and respond appropriately to this good news. So the mission of proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God is imperative. It's the most important news there is. Well, the second thing that I want to share with you is that the mission of proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God is inclusive. Now, the word inclusive is a popular word today, and I need to explain what I mean here. You'll notice that Jesus does not discriminate. He shares the good news with everyone, everywhere. We've already seen how Jesus reached out to the so-called sinners by eating with prostitutes and tax collectors, people who were on the fringe of society and, and looked down upon by others. We have also seen, on the flip side, that he goes and he eats and reaches out to the ultra-religious Pharisees, the hypocrites as well. So, irreligious people, very religious people. Jesus is reaching out to both of them. And in this text, he goes to the big places, the cities, and he goes to the small places, the villages. He brings the good news to men, and he brings the good news to women. He brings the good news to the rich and to the poor, to the popular and to the outcast. Now, Mary Magdalene is mentioned here among uh, the, the women, and she would certainly have been considered a social outcast. Anytime one encounters a demon-possessed person in the Bible, well, they behave in a bizarre manner. And Mary Magdalene, it says here, had seven demons. So she would have been an outcast. On the other hand, Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, would have been a woman of some means with a husband in such an important position. So Jesus reached out to all types of people from all different places because all of them need a Savior. Whether they're sinners or whether they're religious. Rich, poor, people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Everybody needs a Savior. All of us, all of them, all of us are sinners who will perish if Jesus does not save us. The text tells us that he had healed these women of evil spirits and infirmities or weaknesses. That's what the word means. And this qualifies the inclusiveness. That's what I want to explain here. Jesus welcomes all who come to him, but he does not leave you in your sin. He's come to rescue you from sin. Why would you want to remain in sin? Because that's what he's there for. He's there to... to erase the guilt of sin, to free you from bondage to sin, and ultimately one day will free you from the presence of sin. I love to sum that up. I say that all the time because you need to remember that. So Jesus takes you as you are, but he doesn't leave you as you are. He changes you. Now some, in the name of inclusiveness, would have you think that Jesus accepts sinners and just leaves them there in their sin. That's not the case. Everyone who encounters Jesus in Scripture and embraces him by faith is changed. They're not the same anymore. And they're on a path of transformation into the image of Christ. See, if you recognize that you're a sinner and in need of a Savior, 
Come to Jesus. It doesn't matter how big a sinner you are. Jesus will cleanse you from your sin. Now there's a second way this mission is inclusive. Not only is Jesus welcoming anyone from anywhere into his kingdom, but Jesus also includes everyone that he saves in the mission. The people he saves becomes workers for the mission. Now the disciples are mentioned here, and they obviously were part of the mission. In fact, if you flip over to chapter 9, verse 1, he's going to send them out to do the same thing that he's doing now. He called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal, just like he had been doing. So Jesus welcomes them in, as we have already seen, Jesus calling Matthew, Jesus calling the fishermen. They left their uh, old life, and now they're allowed to be part of this mission that Jesus is on. They're included in it. And we also see these women. These women make the mission of Christ possible through their service. The verb says here they provided for them uh, with their means uh, that word provided here is the, is the word from which we get our English word deacon. It's diaconeo, which means to serve. Uh, it's not the word for slave or servant. Uh, it's someone who renders service, who serves another. And Jesus elevates these women to a very important role. And this is how Jesus and the disciples were able to carry out the work. These women also left their lives and they served Jesus and the disciples and provided for them out of their means, out of their money and other resources. This is amazing that we're, we find out how did Jesus, how was he able to live, how was he able to eat on the road, traveling from place to place. It was these women who made it possible. They're real heroes of the faith. Jesus had come to their rescue when they were without hope in the world and and now they are sticking by Jesus. In fact, even when the disciples deny and abandon Jesus in the coming, uh, you know, coming days when Jesus will, will be uh, tried in, in Jerusalem, you know, the disciples run away. They deny Jesus. And they abandon Jesus. But these women remain faithful through the whole process. You see Mary Magdalene and, and, and Joanna at the, at the cross and at the tomb. They're faithfully there. And Jesus first reveals himself after the resurrection to these women. The disciples didn't even believe them, but they were real heroines of the faith. Well, they had experienced Jesus' love and mercy and salvation, and now they were making it possible for others to hear the good news as well. Now, realize this as I say that that Jesus has supernatural ability to multiply food. You know, he fed 5,000 and 4,000 with minimal amount of, of uh, loaves and fishes. Jesus has the ability to make a fish bring him a coin so he can pay a tax. So, see, Jesus, he has all the power in the world to provide for himself. He could provide all the food and money that he needed, supernaturally. But he uses ordinary means. He uses ordinary people 
to accomplish his ends. He allows others, like these women, to express their gratitude and love to Jesus through their service. He includes them in the mission. They're a vital part of it. The same is true for you. Not only is it possible to receive the benefits of Christ's life and death and resurrection yourself, but you who have received these benefits are called to get involved in the mission with your gifts and resources. You can show your love and gratitude to Jesus by helping share the good news with others. What a privilege that Jesus would allow us to be involved in his mission. What a privilege to be a part of the team that's bringing this wonderful good news to the world. Ephesians 4 explains this in the church. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints, that's you who put your faith in Jesus, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So we have these apostles that we can read We have pastors and teachers to help teach us and lead us so that we all can do the work of ministry, to be equipped to do the work of ministry, to use our gifts and resources to build up the body of Christ, to share the good news and and to point people to Jesus. Jesus uses ordinary means, preaching and teaching and acts of service, and he uses ordinary people like you and me to accomplish his supernatural mission. He could do it all by himself. He could snap his fingers and everything could be done. He's got that ability, that power. But he allows us to be involved. Now thirdly, uh, the mission of proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God is instinctive. Now this is a point that should be true, but sadly it often is not. Now what I mean here by instinctive is being involved in the mission of proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God should be a reflex. It should be intuitive. It should should happen naturally. Those who have received that deep, deep love of Jesus, his forgiveness and his grace should respond with loving service to Jesus. That should be the natural response, the natural reflex to having received such wonderful good news that you can be freed from sin, that you can, that you can have eternal life, that, that you can have all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, that your life can have meaning and hope. This wonderful good news, when you receive that, it ought to make us want to share it with others. I mean, if you hear good news... Uh, and and you want to go share it with people. If you see that people are in danger and you hear of a way of escape, you're compelled to go and share that. It's a reflex. You you say your house is on fire and, and you need to go out the back door. Well, the same is true for us. We've received the good news. We've been rescued. And... It ought to be instinctive for us to want to share that wonderful news with others. But sometimes it's not. And there may be several reasons for that. A, maybe you haven't received the good news. Maybe you've never really got it. 
you have never, maybe you've never heard it. Maybe you've just ignored it. And you've never really embraced what Jesus has done in his life, death, and resurrection. Or, B, maybe you just don't grasp the wonder of the good news. You take it for granted. You don't appreciate the depth of your lostness and danger you were in and how Jesus, the great lengths he went to, the great sacrifice he made to rescue you. Maybe you've grown apathetic about that and you don't see the wonder of it anymore. See, getting involved in spreading the good news is instinctive to those who have experienced grace. And if we're not sharing the good news, it's because we're not convinced that it is good news. Gratitude always follows grace. Go back to the end of chapter 7, the woman. She came into that, that dinner party, uh, the, the prostitute, and she's showing her love to Jesus by washing his feet and kissing him and, and, and anointing him with his expensive uh, oil. Uh, she wants to show her love and appreciation for the forgiveness that she has received. And the same is true of these women here in uh, chapter 8. They are giving uh, themselves and their resources to Jesus to care for him and to promote his mission. It's a reflex. They're not apathetic about it. They stick by Jesus even when the disciples don't. Why do Christians become apathetic? And why do churches become stagnant? It's because we've lost sight of the good news. We've, we've lost the wonder of it, and it no longer thrills our souls. I'm guilty of that. But I want to be a believer myself who marvels at the good news of Jesus every day. And I want you to marvel at the good news of Jesus every day. And I want us to be a church that is excited about the good news of Jesus and is excited as well about sharing it with others. It's imperative, right? It was imperative to Jesus. It should be imperative to us. There's no news more important than this news about Jesus. And it's news for all people. Every tongue and tribe and nation people from every walk of life. We've got people all around us who need to hear this wonderful good news. Let's pray that God would so work the joy of the good news into our hearts to make us instinctively, reflexively involved in the mission of the kingdom of God. Let's pray.